0: They think it's all over. Aguero!
1: Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Game Time podcast. Tom is back from last week. Tom, you alright?
2: I'm good, how
0: are you?
1: Yeah, good, thank you very much. Uh, Alan's back. Buongiorno, thank did- you for having me. Did you nod? I did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, great for radio. No <laughs> and our new deadline day signing, Ryan Tully has joined us. You alright, Ryan?
3: Hello, mate. How are you?
1: Yeah, very well, thank you. You're the last signing we're ever going to make, so please be good.
3: <laughs> Can't wait. Can't wait for the ink to draw on the contract. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just get ready. Yeah, we... just get. you are going to have to start writing that contract up. <laughs> right, so for this week, we thought we'd mix it up a little bit. So we've taken the four... <laughs> Biggest games or biggest results from the weekend and thought we'd talk over them. Of course, Bournemouth and West Ham are both in those. And then we've managed to get United and Spurs for me and Ryan. And then the Wolves-Man City game as well, we thought was quite interesting. So,
2: I mean, let's start with... Oh, no no Cardiff, Huddersfield. Oh, no. (laughs) No, no Classic, no? Oh, OK,
1: carry on. I mean, Neil Etheridge didn't save a penalty, so that is something to talk about. I mean, should we should we start off with the one that I probably don't want to talk about? United versus Spurs on the Monday
2: evening. Well, I was talking last week about the Bournemouth was it Bournemouth result not necessarily being that surprising. No, sorry, Brighton result not necessarily being that surprising, and the fact that this Mourinho team is capitulating so much. This was again, you could sort of see it coming. Maybe not quite the scoreline, but God, he's, he's yeah, he's slightly losing it, isn't it? Ryan, you're a Spurs fan. Did you think that it was
3: going to be that easy? (laughs) Um, No, because it it never usually is. When we we play at Old Trafford, we always get some sort of dodgy decision. Yeah, I thought we played... We we didn't even play... The ironic thing is we didn't even play that well in the first half. I thought Man United were probably the better team and they had the better chances. And we looked a bit... We sort of kept giving the ball away in midfield. And it was probably one of the most hard-to-watch sort of like halves of football I've had for a while. But, um, yeah... The second half was just, just mental. Really, as soon as as soon as that goal went in, the third, second goal, sorry. Even though I was still sort of thinking, "Oh, United are probably going to pull this back," it just never really happened, did it? And it was just really, it was really strange to watch. Like in the end, you think, like, can't remember the last time we went up there and won three. Now I don't think we've ever done it. So yeah, it was very, very surprising, but in a good way.
1: <laughs> yeah, not surprising in a good way for United fans who probably saw. I'd say that was a worse performance than a lot of people expected, <laughs> bearing in mind the first half looked pretty fine. like it looked. United created chances, didn't take any of them. Lukaku should have scored, let's be honest. He, mm, definitely. Any striker, irrespective if you're worth 1 million or 75 million, should be scoring an open goal with his right foot. But I think Mourinho came out in the press conference afterwards and Tom, you're the one who I think saw the press conference first. He was pretty hostile, but in a mental way this week. So
2: bored of this sort of stuff.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was insane though, wasn't he? I, mean, I think you're just saying he's, he's won three titles in the cumulative. Everyone else in the league has won two. I mean, this is mental, though. I, I think I can't imagine he's got that long left in him. I think their next four fixtures, Burnley, Watford, Wolves and then West Ham. I think you, have, you have to win all of those now because if they don't, they're out of the title race. And probably even worse for Mourinho if they don't. I think he might be out of the job.
2: Yeah, and I think he was, he was saying the fans should respect him a lot more as well, didn't he? And I think, really, Man U fans owe him very little. He can be respected as a manager for what he's done in the past, but I'm not sure three seasons culminating in a Europa League and uh, was it a League Cup demands a huge amount of respect from the Man U fans. Don't forget the Community Shield. And, and the Community Shield side, the treble. Uh, but yeah, it's everything he's doing in the build-up I mean, he turned up, what is was it, 30 minutes early To the press conference And spoke for 260 seconds oh, God. And Then walked out um, And then obviously he was very spiky afterwards It's it, it, Yeah, his behaviour is sort of It's not endearing to the fans, is
1: it? No You don't even do that on Football Manager Even when the storm out <laughs> button is there you give, it few, <laughs> you give it a few questions before you go Ah, I can't be asked anymore just let me play the game. But no, not, not great if you're a United fan. And for me as a United fan, I'm guessing I'm going to be humbled a little bit more because, Tom, you've come up with a revenge quiz. I mean, you won last week, so it's not really a revenge quiz, but you've come up with a quiz this week, yeah?
0: Yeah, I thought it was a good idea last week. Um Obviously, because I, won, because I won. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think uh, it might, might be good for going forward. So it helps that two of two the people... Uh, on the podcast, support both the teams. So the uh, quiz is going to be three questions each, and both all of the questions are going to be about the club that you support. So Danny, that's Man United, and Ryan, that's Tottenham. And there is a theme. There is a couple of themes throughout, but uh, yeah, we'll see who wins. Who knows their own club better?
3: Okay, bring it on. So
0: I'll, I'll start with United first. So that's you, Danny. Okay. Um, so Michael Carrick, who played for both Tottenham and Manchester United, played 316 games for Man United over a 12-year career and he scored, in his whole career, 27 goals. And the first question is, did he score most of his goals at Man United, or did he score the majority of those 27 goals before he joined United? So that's all of the accumulative clubs he played for before. That's a great question. West Ham legend. I saw a stat
1: recently about his goal-scoring exploit for Manchester United, and I now can't remember if it was... 16 goals for Manchester United or 11 goals for Manchester United, which would obviously sway the answer one way or another.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty crucial (laughs) that you remember which way around it is.
1: Trash talk already. Uh, I'm going to go that he scored the majority of his goals for Manchester United.
0: Yep, you're correct. That's the correct one for that one. Yes. So he scored 17 goals for Man United. And he scored 10 for uh, the rest of his clubs. So that's West Ham. Some at Spurs as well.
3: I think he only scored... I only seem to remember he scored once for us. Because I was in yeah. game. We played Sutherland we played <laughs> and I remember it was really weird. Everyone was like, is that Carrick? And he was all the way forward. He like, usually just spent the whole game on the halfway line. But, you know, he he for us, but a few for West Ham.
0: So, Ryan, we'll go on to your question. So, uh, along the same theme, Dimitar Berbatov is a Man United and a Tottenham player. And he was signed by one... Tottenham manager twice can you tell me who that Tottenham manager is
3: ah yes
0: Martin Yole, because he signed him for Fulham didn't he as well that's right yeah he signed him for Fulham and for for Tottenham so that's one all good start to the quiz so far so Danny um, how many non-British managers have Man United had oh god
1: Um, I'm gonna go with
0: two yeah that's right as well can you name him? It's Van Halen Mourinho. It is. Well done. Congratulations. Fuck off, oh, Ryan. no. <laughs> <laughs> Rage quit. <laughs> too, too easy of a question. So, uh, Ryan, uh, who is the longest serving Premier League Tottenham manager?
3: Oh, that's difficult. <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> we have so many managers. We have had before, anyway.
0: So it's only, only from the beginning of the Premier League, though.
3: Yeah, yeah. I'm just, but even then, though, that's only 25 years, and we've had probably about 13 managers. Um, hmm. I reckon, is it Pochettino? It is Pochettino, yeah.
1: Oh, oh, oh. I was going to go with Big Juan Day.
3: I was, thinking, <laughs> what, the nine months he was in charge? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think uh, Harry Redknapp's a close second, but I think Poch overtook him at the beginning of this season. Yeah,
3: Yeah, I was, yeah, I was, yeah, I was thinking Redknapp, because he was, he was sort of like 2008. Like about October two thousand eight to so like twenty twelve, and then has been there since twenty fourteen. Fair,
0: okay. So uh, the last question for you, Danny. There are is a is multiple answers as so I said. I am looking for three answers. The number seven at Manchester United is a very famous number, and I want to know that before Alexi Sanchez, who were the last three players to wear the number seven? Mm. Oh God! Um, all right, I am going to go with. Memphis
1: Depay, Angel Di De Maria, and oh, balls, not a player. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go Franco Farrell. Ah, oh. <laughs> um, uh, I'm trying. I don't. I don't want to say it, but I'm gonna go Ashley Young just in case. But I have no idea
0: on that last one. So, Memphis Depay is right. Angel Di Maria is right unfortunately Ashley Young isn't right the last player before Angel Di Maria was Antonio Valencia
1: oh fair play to Alan who actually said Antonio Valencia oh, fair and I well. decided to go against him
0: fair enough Okay, yeah. so Ryan if you get all your three correct you win this one but this has been a very tight thought race the number 10 is obviously Harry Kane's number and I want you to name the last three number 10s for Tottenham
3: oh god <laughs>
0: Oh no! Um, Who's that? They're all. They're all. I'll, I won't give you any clues, but they are all big players. That's more clues yeah. than I got. <laughs> yeah, I've the number seven. Yeah, which is notoriously for small players.
2: <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> big big players playing for Tottenham. <laughs>
3: <laughs> We're going to get onto West Ham later. <laughs> it's going to be. Fun. Oh, yeah. I'm going to let that one slide out of pure pity. <laughs> Right, number Uh, 10s. Right, number 10s. Okay, so who have we had recently? I reckon Van der Vaart is one of them. Might be going a bit too far back for him, though. But I think Van der Vaart is one of them, so I'm going to say Van der Vaart. It's really difficult. (laughs) Um, Robbie Keane. I know he was number 10 for a a while when we re-signed him. Ryan, I'll
0: be honest honest with you, Ryan. If you could get this
3: right, because I haven't got a tiebreaker, so... (laughs) <laughs> okay, no pressure. so I already, I already think I've gone, I'm, I'm wrong already, but I'll go Van der Vart, Robbie Keane, and just the four, just the forty-five minutes of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, I'll just say um, I don't actually know, so I'll just say uh, Teddy Sheringham. Solid. Okay. So you said uh, Van der Van Vart, Mod-
2: Luka Modric in there at ten. Didn't he play? No, him? he
3: never, he was never ten for us. He uh, was like eighteen, I think. So 14, 14. you said, did you say Van der Vaart first?
0: Van der Vaart first, yeah. So that's correct. You nice. said Robbie Keane. That's yep. that's also correct. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh, and so you said Teddy Sheringham, which isn't correct. Uh, the most recent number ten before Harry Kane was Emmanuel Adebayor. Oh. Right. oh and I actually, I probably would have accepted Darren Bent as well because Darren Bent was the between Keane being at Spurs and going to Liverpool, then coming back. Darren Bent was number ten uh, mm. for for a, for a brief period. Um, so that's that's two right, which means you've both drawn, and that's what mm. we're going to call it today. That is a great draw. We're all friends. You know what?
1: I would I would have taken a point on Monday night, so this is quite happy.
0: Well, but both <laughs> yeah, of you have yeah. very very good club knowledge, so well done.
2: Cheers, mate. <laughs> Thank you. Mate. Appreciate that. I'm, I'm so glad we did all that for a draw.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's the validation I wanted and the friendship. <laughs>
1: We're, we're of equal standing on our own clubs. Mm. I mean, a last word on the United-Spurs game. Tom, I think you mentioned before the quiz that United's <laughs> next four games, they need to win, otherwise you think they'll be out of the title race. Mm. Do you think, it, even this early on, if they don't
0: win all four of those games, it is game over for the league? Yeah, I think Oh, City lost two games last year and uh, United have already lost two. So I think the way the league is shaping up, uh, okay, there was a shock result with, with Wolves and Man City, but I don't think that's going to happen very often. And when City do slip up, those teams around them need to pick up points. And so far, United have failed to do so. Liverpool have looked relatively strong, but I think those four games, uh, obviously there's two, uh, I think three of them are away, which makes it even tougher. Um, but they're going to come, they're gonna have to go out and get the points because otherwise I think they're going to be dead and buried by the end of September.
2: I think any team could absolutely do it with the right mentality, but if their reaction to going behind to Spurs is anything to judge off, you know, you see heads drop in that in that team. And it's sorta of similar on a wider aspect being behind to uh, Liverpool and City in the league. Like you don't it doesn't look like they have the mental capacity to sort of dig their heels in and, you know, claw back some points. Yeah, it's it's gonna be very difficult for them.
1: On on a Spurs point of view, Ryan, how good is it to see Spurs playing the way they're playing, getting results, bearing in mind you didn't sign anyone in the transfer window. And then you look across at Mourinho, who's consistently complaining that he didn't get the players he wanted. And yet Spurs have signed no one and continue to play basically the same as last season and getting big results.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's very positive, obviously. Like I said, I was one of the people when the transfer window shut, I was sort of back in pochettino because partly because i I was glad we didn't get on on dead day we didn't get sort of held to ransom by any clubs demanding big money for any of the players like for example grealish i thought if we'd have had to pay and we'd have paid like 40 million pound for him that's too much so i was sort of glad that they sort of held out and didn't actually spend any money but yeah in terms of actually the results and the way we're playing it's very positive at the minute but I still, even when it was like 3-0 in the 93rd minute, I still thought we might be able to just chuck it away somehow, so <laughs> there's still that sort of, maybe that mentality problem that we're trying to get over, like the idea of like winning or not winning at grounds for so so many years, obviously like Chelsea, we did it last year for the first time since 1990 and then United, we've won there and scored there for the first time in five years or whatever. So we're slowly getting there, I think. But yeah, it's very positive. And also, some of the players we have got look like, without wanting to sound a bit like Pochettino, they look like new signings now, like Lucas Mora oh, looks like. Mora's come out of nowhere. Well, not nowhere. Yeah. Everyone was sort of aware of
2: him as a player. But last season, he sort of went through a bit anonymously, mostly because of how good Son was playing. And he mm. was sort of his direct replacement. And, you know, now that Son's out of the picture temporarily. He's stepped up very well. On the subject of Son, though, um, of, uh, well, he's currently in Indonesia. As I th- Did we touch on this last week? We've touched on it at some point, yeah. Yeah, at some point. Anyway, Son um, is over in Asia for the Asia Games. And those of you who know will know that if he wins the Asia Games, he will not have to complete his national service. And as of yesterday, when South Korea beat Vietnam... Uh, they're through to the final, so Son's one game away from not having oh, to complete two years of national service. It's a huge game for Tottenham, really.
3: Yeah, I mean, I hope he does bring it home. Like people have been sort of like Sammy jokingly about it. We've we've sort of talked about it as well. But one, it would get the um, it get the trophy cabinet up and running in a nice way. We could claim that as ours. Um, <laughs> and and secondly, like it would, in genuinely, it would sort of create a lot of lot more smooth couple of years for him because obviously if he's going home or going back to Korea to do training or, or wherever he's he's going to be stationed it's genuinely going to cause a bit of problems so yeah it'd be nice to see him actually not have to do it but especially at that stage in his career because he's you'd argue he's in his prime at the moment
2: and mm, having, to take two, yeah. having to take two years out I mean the, whatever player Tottenham get back from that is, is someone that's going to be you know would be a bit out of practice maybe not the same player and I, uh, the other point I was going to say, Ryan, is I know in the pre-season preview we
0: spoke about how Moran maybe needed some time to fit into the pot where playing. I mean, he he was flying against United on Monday. Do you think he maybe is? He could even keep his place when Son does come back.
3: Yeah, I don't think you you could ever drop someone for scoring twice at Old Trafford, like, and then two weeks later dropping for someone else. For but yeah, I think that that is definitely a factor in terms of where the way Potatino gets teams to play, like you said, we've mentioned before, it does take for a while to bed in. I mean, some players get uh, like can sort of hit the ground running, like Davidson Sanchez being an example last year, but the signings that he's made when he's been at Spurs, mostly they've taken maybe a season or two to get going. And some even now, like REA and Sissoko still don't look the full ticket, but Mora definitely, he looks, and a few people were sort of mentioning it in pre-season. They said that like they were getting up at 3am to watch like the games in America. And he was playing against like Inter and Barcelona. And they said, he looked decent. But obviously, you, you want him to do it in the league as well. And he has done, which is, which is very nice. But yeah, hopefully he can carry it on because he just seems to have settled better now, which is obviously a positive. And he's gotten to sort of like the way the team plays, which is excellent. Can't fault the bloke.
1: Yeah, it was a pretty impressive performance all round from Spurs and pretty dismal from United. Moving on to another big game that happened at the weekend involving another Manchester club. And probably quite a surprise result, Wolves holding Man City to a one-all draw. And there's a couple of things that I wanted to talk about out of this game. First one being, did anyone expect City to drop
3: points away at Wolves? No. No, no, absolutely
0: not. No.
3: I thought they were going to give them a game, but I thought it was going to be like a 2-1 win to City. I didn't think they were going to get any points off of them. I thought it'd be like really close. I think the thing about that game
1: was it looked like Wolves really had a game plan and weren't... I mean, to me, you guys, feel free to disagree with me, but it didn't look like Wolves were reacting to the way City were playing. It looked like Wolves were playing their own game plan and it just
2: worked very well in negating the way City went forward. Yeah, I mean, they were, they were really good on the break, weren't they? And um, it, was very, it almost felt like uh, a coming-out party in the Premier League for them, On not it? They finally sort of... And after there was so much hype about them pre- Season starting, and then it was almost like a false start of the first two games. So what they managed one point from mm. one point from two games, um, which is obviously well respectable, but it's still not maybe as good as they potentially could have done. But yeah, draw against City, I think they and they deserved it, didn't they? It wasn't as if they sort of it was a battle hardened one, they, or they definitely came away, yeah, pretty well from that. I hate wolves. <laughs> <laughs>
0: They played their style of football and it worked and, and they got a result from that. And they, they should obviously be incredibly proud of that. As illegitimate as that goal was by Bolly, you, st- you can't yeah. take it away from subsequently. But I think there are a number of teams in the Premier League that will try and play their football against Man City and, and will get bashed 5-0. And I think Wolves maybe had the the correct way of putting pressure on Laporte and company, who I thought looked slightly um, hesitant a lot of the time, playing against some very quick strikers and quick wingers. But fair play to Wolves. They got their point. Yeah, I think look back at the back end of the season if they are in and around the bottom, which I don't think any of us think they will be. That could be a valuable point at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, you mentioned the willy-bolly goal and that was going to be my second talking point. How quickly do you think VAR needs to come into Premier League football? Because surely that would clear it up pretty quickly if the referee can just jog over to the touchline and see that it's clearly... A handball and shouldn't be given.
3: Yeah, I, I do think that it should be brought in sooner rather than later. But obviously, the FA have made it clear that it won't be in any time. Before. So I feel like, even though, like you said, the goal was a bit dodgy, there's nothing they can do about it, really. I would like to have seen it this season, but obviously, they just the FA decided not to. But yeah, definitely, they shouldn't they should get it in sooner rather than later, in my opinion.
0: Tom. I think it's, it's only frustrating for Man City fans. I think everyone else probably appreciates the drama a bit, but um, <laughs> I think if, if maybe if, if it had meant City had lost all the points rather than gaining a point and they scored afterwards as well, I, I don't know how much of a difference it really made, but it, it, w- it will be nice eventually to have the have the technology. And I think, like Alan said last night, a goal is a goal and that's how it should be judged. It's binary, but um, yeah, it, I thought it was an enjoyable point in the game anyway. Yeah, probably fair.
1: Oh, let's go on to Arsenal's first win of the season. And not only because that means... That's West- me, guys. See you
2: later. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's not only because Alan's here and we can talk about West Ham as well. But uh, before we talk about the West Ham perspective, from an Arsenal point of view, that they needed to win that game. And luckily for them, they won it big, didn't they?
0: I think they got lucky in the end. When they went behind, I think... Both teams looked relatively poor defensively in the first half. There was a couple of occasions. I actually thought Philippe Anderson had a very good game and, and maybe he can kick on his career at West Ham. But I thought that the Arsenal defence looked shaky and I wouldn't imagine that any of the big, the other big six teams are, are frightened of going to play against that defence. Welbeck scored really late to make it 3-1 and up until that point, I, I mean, West Ham could have equalised. So I didn't think there was that many chances for West Ham to equalise. but there's always a chance that it could go that way. And
3: that that outcome
0: looks completely different if it, if it goes 2-2 right at the end rather than
3: 3-1. I think that the, the scoreline was sort of, like you say, embellished a bit by Welbeck. West Ham got gotten very little confidence at the minute in the way they're playing. And that was shown sort of in the Wimbledon game last night when they sort of struggled to get past them. Eventually they did that, obviously. But yeah, I, I do think that there is no reason to panic if you are a West Ham fan at the minute. So good news for you, Alan. You can uh, put, the, uh, put the passport away. You don't have to emigrate yet. Um, <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> but I, I do think, like the, the game on Saturday, like you said, it was sort of a bit lucky in Arsenal. They've looked very shaky at the back, and I don't know whether it's the teams coming to play against Arsenal that they are dragging them down to their level defensively, or whether they're just everyone's bad at defending in London this year, apart from us. But you know, <laughs> the children, West Ham, are both look pretty dodgy. So it'll be nice to see how West Ham deal with the, th- what's the third defeat in a row. But I do think they will bounce back but they have got quite hard fixtures i believe in the next few weeks so that'll be also interesting to see i guess i'll delve into this now
2: no i don't think it's as bad as it looks i think it's way worse it's a really bad situation for us at <laughs> the moment no um i i think you both touched on it earlier though we potentially were a bit unlucky against arsenal if if our finishing was better we could have been in a, a, a much better situation a couple of points to pick up on I'm not necessarily sure if playing Marko Anatovic as the solo striker is necessarily the best idea because yes, he's got two goals in three games now. But if you look at that Arsenal games, the amount of chances he missed and really another more recognized striker, a player that's played in that position more regularly, I think would have tucked away maybe two or three. They were quite clear cut chances. Um, Secondly, it's, we had you said we were lacking in confidence. We also look like a team of sort of strangers at the moment, I think, and, and that's a reflection on the fact we've made eight or nine signings, and a lot of whom are currently in the first team. A lot more in that first team have only been there maybe a year or two, so it's it's a very sort of fresh-faced West Ham team, and I'm not sure they're that, that coordinated at the moment. And my third worry is it doesn't really get better in terms of the fixtures. I think we're playing Wolves next, who are I mean, that's possibly the worst time in the season to play rules because they're, they're, they're going to be riding pretty hard from the City game. And then I think we've got Everton, Man U and Tottenham all in pretty quick succession. So, it's I mean, we could be staring at the barrel of zero points after 18 potential. It, uh, we've got to pick up some somewhere. I know it's early doors and I like to be the cynical one. Don't say it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but your bottom of the table with zero points having spent, what, 85, 90-odd million. If you go down, how catastrophic would that be? Because I think Tom touched on Fulham going down would probably bankrupt the club. For West Ham, what would that do to you if you,
2: come the end of the season, were still bottom of that table? Um, well, I think you've got to look at the positives. One, um, we'd have we'd break the record for the largest stadium in the Championship. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, two would also break the record for the largest wage bill. Uh, three would actually offload two se- season ticket holders as David Gold and Sullivan are hung from the uh, <laughs> the, the rafters where Upton Park used to be. Oh. So, there's, yeah, there's, it's not all doom and
1: gloom. <laughs> Just purely positive aspects from that. Um, right, the last game that we're going to talk about is the Bournemouth-Everton game. And I picked this one out. Yeah, And I know yeah, Liverpool beat Brighton 1-0 in a pretty Who cares? (laughs)
3: And
1: and Fulham did a number on Burnley. But I went for the Bournemouth-Everton one, mainly because Tom's on the podcast, but also because Everton-Bournemouth games seem to toss up interesting ones. And this one's probably one of the best games they've played in recent years. 2-0 down to a team with 10 men to come back, make it 2-2 after getting your own man sent off. This one
0: had it all, didn't it, Tom? I think uh, Adam Smith and Richarlison had a suicide pact. So they both got (laughs) sent off, which was nice. It was a good game. I I think we were, even when they had a man sent off, we were poor. And actually, Everton probably could have had a penalty earlier on in the game. So I think we we looked like conceding from the start. But it was pleasing again. I think we've won the most number of points, 25 points down the last year uh, from losing positions. So it's a good habit to have. I do kind of wonder, I mean, it happened against West Ham as well. Why can't we make the sort of the, the start? Why can't we be good at the beginning of games rather than in the last 25 minutes? But overall, I think we were good. Nathan Ake scored his first goal of the season, first of probably 25. So I'm pretty excited for that. Um, mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I, mean, I I think we played really well. I think Fraser was good. Wilson missed a, missed a sitter, but um, maybe we might talk about the England squad later on. But we're excited mm-hmm. to see if his early season form gets him into some international recognition
1: both teams still unbeaten mm. in the Premier League. Who do you think will finish higher at the end of the table? I mean, we can go through everyone for this. Tom, I feel like you're going to say Bournemouth, but who do you, <laughs> think, is to, who do you think is going to finish higher out of the two?
0: I don't know. They they have a lot of players that haven't started yet in, in games, so whether it's Yerimino or Andre Gomez. And I do wonder, their team may get a lot better, but obviously with the injury to Michael Keane, they, they may have to bring in Jeremy, sooner than sooner than they thought. I, I think they'll they'll finish above us. I think they're they've got a much more experienced team, some some really world class players in that team. And then there's an obvious one, um, but but what I thought Walcott looked really good, and mm. I think he he hopefully he can have a good season as well. And yeah, I, it, it, when he's running at a defence, especially we haven't got particularly quick centre backs, it's frightening. So um, yeah, I think he may kick on after after today. But I, I imagine Everton will uh, will will finish above us.
3: Right. Yeah, I've got to go with Everton, unfortunately. I mean, that's partly because I do have money on Bournemouth to win the League Cup. So (laughs) I would like to horrendously sack off the league and then just (laughs) dominate the League Cup. Um, Yeah, it's a bit weird, really, because obviously, like you said, Tom, you said about the, oh, not starting games very well or, or sort of like coming back in the last 25 minutes. I feel like that is partly sort of to the credit of Eddie Howe and the way he sort of manages the team. Because obviously you've got them running pretty much non-stop for ninety minutes, and then he can sort of like it allows them to come back into games when other teams might be tiring. And I got that impression with Everton, like when they went down to ten men, that it was quite a good result for them. Into like towards the end, they were lucky to get a point. I mean, Bournemouth could have scored, maybe Everton could have, like, and it's a winner. But it's a good thing to have, like that sort of thing, when your just team is constantly looking to make up points and make up sort of deficits but yeah I think Bournemouth will have a good season this year I think I'm confident about that.
2: Alan? Yeah I think uh, to add to your point about sort of Eddie Howe I, do, I think he does deserve a huge amount of credit I mean Bournemouth are probably one of the teams well apart from sort of outside the top six or six or seven including Everton that you think are probably safe this season and um, which for a club of You know, I I don't want to dig in and say Bournemouth are a small club, but it's damn impressive that they can be considered basically, well, you'd probably say they're a mid-table Premier League side at the moment, which is amazing that Eddie Howe's sort of been able to keep them in that position. In terms of who's going to finish above them, I think it is Everton. It's all about the squad in the Premier League, isn't it? You've got to have good players in every position and backups, and Everton certainly have that at the moment. And I think they'll probably get better as the season's going. Bournemouth have got maybe slightly lighter a squad, but as you say, if they keep coming from behind and maybe they can go in front once or twice, they'll they'll do well this season. Fair shout all round. So, clean sweep of Everton. Tom,
1: you mentioned Theo Walcott having a good season and the England squad, at the time of recording, is coming out tomorrow, so that will be Thursday. How do you think that squad is going to line up? Are there any potential inclusions that
0: you'd put in there from performances so far in the opening games of the season? I think he's going to invest in youth, this squad. I think if you look at the Jamie Vardy and Gary Cahill have seemingly ruled themselves out of future squads now. So I think he's probably given the message to maybe some of the senior players that he's going to look at the younger younger ones. Um, I like the idea of Jaden Sancho, although, although the fact I've never seen him play and know nothing about him. Um, but I would, I'd like to see him at least get a cap. Uh, And I think it's all about avoiding what happened with Wilfred Zaha. We just need to cap all of these young players now and then we've got them forever. (laughs) Um, I think Declan Rice looks like he's going to get in the squad because obviously he played in friendlies for the Republic of Ireland, but now appears to have switched his allegiances. Uh, I'd like Wilson to get in the squad, um, another Bournemouth player. And and I'm quite confident Lewis Cook will get in the squad because I think Southgate's quite a big fan of him. But overall, I think if there's young players coming through... Uh, Harry Winks, maybe he's starting to get into the Tottenham team or, or, or starting to get to full-back to full fitness, potentially there as well. But I think that he Southgate's just trying to invest in youth. It's easy, um for
1: me, it's quite easy as a neutral fan to just sit back and and look at this sort of from afar. But with how well England did at the World Cup, picking players probably for the first time in a while on how they played during a season rather than on big names... Ryan, do you think that going forward that's what Southgate and any future managers are going to look into?
3: Yeah, I think I think Southgate's made that pretty clear with the sort of the, the squaddy pits at the World Cup. There wasn't really any what you'd call safe choices in it. Um, and I feel like like Tom said, there's going to be some surprises tomorrow. But I do I'm a bit concerned about the fact that Vardy's sort of semi retired, shall we say, because in my eyes I think he is comfortably the second best striker we have at the minute. Like, you could say maybe Rashford, but then again, he's not getting in the United team. And he, even when he does, he plays, like, left wing. You've got, like, Sturridge, who's obviously got his injury problems. And you've got, like, the untried people, which is, like, maybe Tammy Abraham, who's got, like, one cap. And then you've obviously got, like, say, Callum Wilson, or you've got, like, Danny Ings or Charlie Austin, people like that, who are sort of, like, on the fringes of maybe... If there was an England, like, B team or, like, a reserves, they'd probably get into that. Hmm. But I do feel like we sort of... We're we're a bit light on the on the forwards line, but I'm happy to for him to sort of pick on merit because I feel like that's where the best England squads come from. But like I said, apart from the strikers, I mean, if you were to pick the strikers on merit, you would probably have Kane, Wilson, and then who else is there really? Oh, I can't, Danny, I can't well bang. Bang. <laughs> maybe, maybe well back <laughs> weekend. Yeah, but then it takes time for Danny Ings because he scored against Everton like two weeks ago. So yeah, yeah it's, but obviously this Nations League is a bit of an experiment. So if he's gonna Play around with formations and stuff. Now's the time. Like, if we get relegated to League B, I'm not really going to complain about that. Um, and obviously, we've got a friendly Switzerland at the King Power. So, yeah, just go. I'd, I'd echo what Tom said go for the sort of like the experimental side and see where it leads us, really. Yeah, I mean,
2: I I think the game coming up against Spain, I think they're a team in transition as well. So, they might be trying a few things. So, it might be a good opportunity for us to as well. A um, couple of players, I'd, I thought, yeah, I'd love to see um, Jaden Sancho just given a go. I think he came off on off the bench over the weekend and set up one goal. Um, So, he's definitely, you know, he's in the frame at Dortmund. So, you think that definitely suggests he's maybe, yeah, one for the future and, well, maybe one for now. Who else, though? Uh, Joe Gomez. He started the season very well for Liverpool. Um, I know he didn't touch on it, but he looked very assured in the 1-0 win. What else? Um, Anyone else? Oh, yeah, and Declan Rice, I think. It'd be great to see him get a call-up because he's looked pretty, well, despite our bad start, he's looked pretty and, not great into the season last year. He's looked pretty well, uh, good in the West End team, and he's only nineteen. So yeah, that would be nice.
3: I'm really looking forward to Mark Noble's
2: meltdown when he gets. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, mate. He, sh- he should be captain. He should have had 100 um, try, try,
3: try, quite, a hundred caps. Quite, quite yeah, frank, frankly, no.
2: Good. Gareth Southgate's a disgrace. He's a disgrace. Yeah. Okay. Um, but no, yeah. I hope he does pick England over Republic of Ireland, though. I think Pellegrini's come out and made some comments about it this week. He needs to decide where his heart is. And, you know, I think England fans should hope it's uh, with the Red Roses. From an England perspective, looking ahead at the games
1: against Spain and Switzerland, are you going to take anything from that if you come out with two really good performances and big wins? Or is it, is it mainly just about the performances, not about the results?
0: I'm not sure it's uh, that much of an importance at the moment. I think everyone's still a bit high off of the uh, the performance of the World Cup, so I don't, I don't really think it matters. I think it would be nice to see some. And I think this is the opportunity for these type of games where it'd be nice to see some young players play. But overall, I think the result isn't super important. And seeing someone exciting like, like Sancho, and I think maybe I actually think there may be a bit of pressure on Sterling because I think maybe he got cut a bit of slack just because of the poor reporting on him at the World Cup. But I do think he maybe needs to start putting some bigger performances in as an England player because a lot of the weight was on Kane's shoulders at the World Cup and we all know how well Sterling plays for Man City. So if he can replicate that for England, um, he could be a really big, really big and really
3: important player for us. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I would not be, like I said earlier, I would not be surprised or even bothered if we were to sort of like lose against Spain maybe. But like, I would like to see them or Southgate, especially like have a look at different players. I think that's where this comes from. Because obviously, a lot of this Nations League thing, it's even though they're sort of billing it as this like third tournament, it is basically just a set of glorified friendlies. For instance, like from when you look at it, really. So we need to use this time now to prepare for the Euro qualifiers, which start in March, and then obviously you've got March through to November. We've got to qualify for Euro 2020, which will then be if we do, we get through to the group stages, which will all be played at Wembley. And that's obviously going to be a big boost and everyone can really get behind the team. So I'd rather us sort of try some stuff out and be certain going into those Euro 2020 qualifiers rather than sort of get a bit giddy if we beat Spain at Wembley next Saturday or Sunday, whenever they play. But that's just my personal view about it. I don't know if, Alan, have you got any different opinions on it? Yeah, it's interesting because during the qualifiers, I think
2: Southgate wasn't playing that three at the back, was he? I think he no. it was pretty much four at the back right through the qualifiers. It was only when England qualified officially for the tournament that he decided to start mixing it up and try new things. And then we saw the friendlies against Germany and Brazil, where we went five at the back and we sort of went on from there. Mm-hmm. But really, because there's no sort of repercussions from these games, I would hope. Gareth Southgate does take it as a chance to sort of tinker again and maybe, maybe find a new, not necessarily a new system, but a new group of players that can slot into the ones that are on the way out. I wouldn't particularly mind if, you know, we take some risks against Spain and come off on the losing side. Are they friendlies? Or are they? What are these games? So Spain is the yeah. way for nations. They're, they're in, what the fuck they're, is that? It's sort of... Hmm. Yeah so it's the Nations League so there is some implications qualifying for the Euros there's a yeah. couple of places on offer okay if you win the whole thing um but all in all I think it's I think it's more of a effective idea for the lower ranking teams because this will effectively give a chance you know teams like San Marino to play other teams of a lesser sort of standard like uh, I don't know Andorra things like that yeah. so these teams that are normally getting you know, trash eight nil, nine nil. You know, most weeks, and it's pointless for them. Um, yeah. So it's good they're for them to be better. able to play more competitive fixtures. They're not going to get any better. No. Well,
3: so, I mean, they could do. This helps them develop with games against their own sort of nations. They could get better. Like I said, um, I was reading this thing about um, Gibraltar. They've obviously they're the newest um, sort of like entrance to UEFA, and since they've sort of been introduced to sort of playing against teams like maybe Poland, Belgium, Italy in qualifiers their national leagues like the quality they said it's got it's improved really well because they've got funding through UEFA and they've like their teams are starting to qualify for the well for the qualification rounds of european tournaments anyway like the europa league so it's it's sort of boosting their game so like i say those smaller countries it will help them in a way if they're playing against teams about their ability to get some maybe some confidence and some wins but also the like i said the, the groups the way they do it the group d or league d is the bottom set which is all like the spanner countries basically are all the rubbish ones
2: but um <laughs> so, so you're making a really
3: well well yes. thought out well, 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 right point yes um no but you know i mean all of the ones that are traditionally yeah. at the bottom of the rankings um and one of those will actually qualify for the euros next year or the year after sorry so they have a real chance of getting through. So it could be someone like Belarus, maybe, or Kazakhstan. Well, um, someone like that, they could legitimately be in the finals. My question for that, though, is that so the problem they have at the
0: moment is that they're not good enough in the current group stages processes to qualify. Yeah. But isn't that the whole point of group stages? <laughs> is it weeds out the shit teams?
3: That's true, yeah. I mean, partly, if, if I've got my cynical head on, I reckon it's partly because UEFA have given some games to Azerbaijan in Euro 2020, because obviously it's over the different cities. Yeah, You've got like some in England, some in uh, Italy. I think it's Rome have got some, and Bilbao, etc. Um, and I feel, because Baku has got some games, and basically, Azerbaijan are the best of the League D teams. They've given them a chance to qualify for their own tournament, sort of, and play some games at their own ground. Okay, I can only assume
2: UEFA are going to make some money off the Nations League as well. <laughs> whereas, no, no, but as in whereas international friendlies are possibly quite independent from, uh, from FIFA or the UEFA governing bodies. But UEFA Nations League, I assume, you know, marketing, etc., etc. They'll they'll be more tied into it. So it's probably a bit of a cash cow for them.
1: Just a quick one looking forward to the Euros. And I know it's still really, really far away. Get it in With early. Well... Get it in early.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: With how well England have done at the World Cup, Genuinely, if you could set what you think they'd do at the Euros, how far do you think they could go?
3: I think we'll qualify. Yeah. I, mean, that's fair. <laughs> I don't know, really. Like I say, it all depends on if they, if they can actually get through. Because notoriously, we, even though we usually finish top of the qualifying groups, we always make hard work of it. Like last time, we had a couple of dodgy nil-nils against teams and all like 1-0 victories. So, if we can qualify in some relative comfort with a system that works rather than sort of change like use the use these games to like say settle on the back three or the back four or whatever, and then I reckon if we get the three group games at Wembley and then I think we go somewhere you you move across after that, so if we can get the confidence going in the group games at home, then who knows all I'm picturing
2: is the captain walking up the steps <laughs> towards the trophy. Mark Noble, captain (laughs) leader legend, a shock shock call-up and an even more shocking captain lifts the trophy, Euro 2020, bam. I mean, what's more likely is him sobbing into a mirror with a replica. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, No, I I reckon uh, again, going into it, i Probably semis again would be considered a pretty good success. Definitely. Backing up what we did at the World Cup, because so I think that would make it at least look like it wasn't a fluke. Because I think those were some of the criticisms saying to England that as soon as we faced, a, you know, a, an opponent of more esteem, then we came came unstuck. So if we could back that up with a good another good tournament, I think it would solidify, you know, our position as a, a threat again in international football. I think
0: there's one point which, which I guess we touched on earlier is if we can go into a tournament or go into future tournaments and have a formation and, a, and some tactics which aren't based just on the players we have. We, we have Gareth Southgate coaching us to look at specific positions and specific formations and then we just take the best players available for each of those positions rather than working in Gerrard and Lampard and Scholes and playing Scholes on the wing. Well, that's what's more exciting as an England fan now because I think we saw that at the World Cup, and I think that's why we got so far. We played players who were very, very good at certain things and, and they played well together. So, uh, yeah, I don't think you, can, you can't really put a cap on the potential because those players looked really proud to play for England, played really well together, and looked like they actually enjoyed playing for England, which I think has been missing from international football for a while for us. I mean, I'm not wishing
1: Southgate to go away, but if he has a really good Euros. Do you think a big club will come in and snatch him up? And do you think that will make a, a problem for England to carry on what he's doing?
0: I think maybe he's in the process of signing a new deal at the moment. If I'm, if I'm to believe, he's. I think they're looking at extending him to, him to the next World Cup. So he's obviously keen to stay. And you know, what? as long as we're playing like we are at the moment, I, I think people keep referring to him Southgate. Uh, it's, it's Sir Southgate. We may as well just preempt <laughs> this now. It's, it's, it's coming. Uh, <laughs> As, as long as he's obviously keen to stay, you like, know, if he gets snatched up by by a big boy in the Premier League eventually, then fair enough. But I, yeah, I think he he enjoys it and he's done it at multiple levels for England as well.
3: I can't I can't see why he would leave England mm. to be honest. Like you look at him, I mean, obviously he didn't do it very good at Middlesbrough, and he's so he's so ingrained in like like Tom said, the England project, like going through the age groups. Now it's very difficult to just drop that and then go because. A club that's come in for you, they want to. I um, want you to manage them in the Premiership. So, like, look at someone like Chris Coleman, who took Wales to the semis of the Euros, and then obviously left to go to Sunderland, partly because he wanted to get back in um, club management, but also because I think he was realizing that the Wales job sort of came with its own problems with sort of like not playing enough games, and now he's like managing in China, isn't he? So it's not always just the easiest thing to come out of national management and then go into club management. It's very different to do, very difficult to do. So I wouldn't be surprised if he was in it for the long run, like you said, with the new contract. Yeah, it's a different beast than international management, isn't it? And obviously, it,
2: this has really struck a chord for Gareth Southgate. Whatever he's doing with that setup is clearly working. Um, whether that would translate as well to club football, where you've got to, you know, tactically re-up every day, well, every week for an entire season yeah it's the question is if he'd be able to do it he's got some serious stock with england though considering you know the leeway england um the fa sorry gave hodgson for example we've got three tournaments all three of which were pretty underwhelming and um, so far Gareth southgate's only had one tournament and it's gone very well so yeah he's gonna get you know some pretty big leeway but yeah we'll see trust i don't think he'll be in club management anytime soon though. yeah trust the process <laughs> um before we
1: go, look ahead to the weekend's games. You know what? It's it's a weird weekend. There doesn't there's not like a one massive standout game this weekend. You'd probably say one of the biggest games of the weekend. And again, it feels like I'm just throwing Bournemouth at you. But Chelsea, Bournemouth, Bournemouth tend to do quite well away at Stamford Bridge. Tom, what do you think of um, what do you think of Bournemouth
0: chances? Uh, I, I think we probably will struggle. Uh, I think they're build it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I'm going to the game on Saturday, but I think live report. Yeah, I'll ring in. Um, but I think we played our reserves ultimately last night in the in the Carabao Cup. Um, so we shouldn't have too many unfit legs on Saturday, which is good. Uh, hopefully, Jefferson Lermer, he had a good game last night, and he he could slot into the team. I think Lewis Cook might as well. Um, but yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we went there trying to get a draw or, or just trying to frustrate Chelsea rather than playing the expansive football that really destroyed West Ham.
1: Of last week. Uh, speaking mm-hmm. of West Ham, I'm not going to let you reply because I'm not letting this podcast turn into <laughs> insult or Uh How important is the game against Wolves at home at the London Stadium? You lose that. That's four games on the bounce, zero points.
2: I think it would only be an important game if we could then take that result and you know pick up some points in the next few. I mean, we're going to pick up zero points either way. So (laughs) really, it's redundant. The only thing I hope is that um, West Ham don't, because it is a relatively difficult start to the season that we've had. We're playing a lot of the top six in the opening, you know, seven games or so, plus Wolves and you know, Bournemouth. It's Potentially, one we should have picked up points, but I hope it doesn't reflect too badly on Pellegrini because obviously he's a potentially a great manager, and I think we should sort of stick with him and not, you know, be too rash. But is it important game? Yeah, but we're going to lose. Just, just getting used to the losses for the rest of the season, <laughs> doors. Um
1: On the Sunday, uh, we touched on Burnley United. Tom, I think you said that's a must-win game for Mourinho and for Manchester United season. And
0: then Spurs versus Danny, 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 Danny. Just, just before you, just before you do that one. If, if you
3: lose against Burnley,
0: yeah. What else has to happen for until Marini gets sacked?
3: I'd like to come in on that. If you want, okay. mind. I, got, <laughs> I'm, I'm calling mob out in the uh, post match. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, I mean that
1: probably would get him fired and a sexual <laughs> harassment charge against him
3: who knows uh, if, he got,
1: if he got his lad out in the middle of the press conference. <laughs> but, um, uh, on an honest answer this knob has won three Premier League titles
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: what a knob won
3: he was so waiting for Wenger to retire before he wheeled that out as well I know we're going horrifically back to the start but Wenger won three on his own so he was waiting he was okay. like him up. oh Pellegrini's got one who um, uh, else has got one I said, yeah, I've got the most, so I can say it now. <laughs> Why? Well,
2: Conte, Conte, and Wenger have left, so yeah, yeah. that reduces it yeah. from four to
3: two, doesn't That's it? What, you know, <laughs> when, when he was like, adding it up, thinking like, "Oh no, I've not won the most," but now he has. Yeah, so he's just own <laughs> head. <laughs> he's now the top. Ah, mm-hmm. oh,
1: uh, now on a serious note, I think a loss to Burnley would probably put him right on the edge. I, the thing is, I think he'll go if if he carries on the way he is I reckon he'll be gone by January and if he's not gone by January they're not going to trust him to invest or to buy players yeah I'm I'm not sure the relationship is what it once was with anyone especially Ed Woodward some of the players look like they don't really care about him anymore so I wouldn't be surprised if I don't think the Burnley if a loss to Burnley happened it would be the end but I reckon maybe November before December time, mm. if it carries on going the way it is, that will probably do it. And shaving his hair, like you said last week, and <laughs> getting his knob out would probably
2: do it. Step to I think a key thing, though, is that at some point <laughs> the butt's got to stop with Mourinho, and he's got to recognise that he is contributing to this negative atmosphere. If they could get over that, they'll probably start improving. So they probably won't improve. Yeah, yeah. True. Because he's never going to do that. <laughs> I thought the interesting thing about the Woodward
0: aspect of it is, I, I feel like some United fans are beginning to turn on him. And I think there was a they've arranged a protest against Burnley. The plane flying over Turf Moor saying Woodward wood, out. Out. Oh, there, abs- okay. there is absolutely no way he is going to go, because at the moment their share price is the highest it's ever been, and he is making yeah. that club so much money, and he's invested in what Mourinho wanted over the last few years. It's amazing that some uh, some fans uh, think that he's the problem rather than Mourinho, but then I guess some of those fans do want photos with Lucas Moore after the game, so fair
2: enough. <laughs> I think to a certain extent it's because he's seen as like the mouthpiece or the puppet of the Glazers, mm-hmm. and that's always been a sticking point for Man U fans. Wh- whenever they're not doing so well, mm-hmm. the chants about the Glazers and the, the banners about the Glazers always end up coming out. So I think it's maybe less a reflection on Woodward, who, like you said, is in terms of his job, he's doing nothing wrong. Mm. Uh, except maybe if it's to believe it, he's you know, not getting the right signings. But in, in terms of the financial aspect, the club are doing fantastically. So, it's, uh, yeah, no chance he leaves.
1: But it's in a way, just turning into everything that United fans constantly mocked Arsenal about. Oh, you just constantly keep talking up how good your business is. But as a football club you're not actually being successful anymore. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It, interesting times ahead for United. And I think the Sir Alex Ferguson hangover has lasted a lot longer than a lot of people would ever have seen. It'll be interesting to see if the same happens at Arsenal. But, yeah, it's not looking good. On a final note, Spurs versus Watford could prove to be a good game. Both teams unbeaten. Watford, are they second now in the table? Or were... No, I think we
3: Your second
1: was... after the win, but that could be that could be a decent game and maybe quite a bit of a test for Spurs because Watford have been playing some decent football. Yeah, cha- Champions League
3: shooter, isn't it? So, um, <laughs> yeah, no. In all seriousness, though, I think I feel like it's a game we can't underestimate because Watford are a decent side. Um, people saying like, oh yeah, they've started well and they've had maybe favourable fixtures with, obviously. Palace and Brighton at home, but then they had a good win away at Burnley, um, so I feel like we do need to respect them, and we usually do, like they always give us good games, I think like the last couple, we drew with them last year at Vicarage Road, we only beat them 2-0 at Wembley, and then we've, we've sort of had, bar the odds, we've beaten 4-0 once or twice, we've always had a couple of like really close games with them, especially at their place, so it'd be interesting to see, I think I mean, it'd be massive almost for us, because it'd be the first time we've won four out of four in my, my lifetime anyway I can't remember us ever doing it uh, before probably did it in like the 60s or something so yeah it will be massive going into the international break as well you don't want to go in in a loss which is always like a bit of a momentum killer but yeah if we were to get if we could play positively and get a result there I'll be very very um, pleased with how this well like with the prospects coming up next year but yeah we do have to respect what we can't just turn up and expect to win because they could probably um, take points off us if we did that yeah, it should be a good game though. In Berahino
0: scored 930 something uh, days, yes. and Berahino finally oh scored. The last time he scored, Mohamed Ali was still alive. Oh god, jeez, that man has not done well. I'm pl- I'm pleased he scored though, and uh, uh, he was he was a really he was a real talent for such a long period of time. And I remember when Spurs were interested in him as well. Yeah, 25 million quid. Yeah, exactly. So, I, as, as funny as it is sometimes when you see players like that not scoring for ages, it is, I'm quite happy it came to an end for him. Hopefully, he'll kick on because I think Stoke needs some goals this season in the Championship.
3: I mean, I think they'll be okay because, obviously, if they can play for Huddersfield every week, they've got um, that Bakuna just leathering it in from 50 yards out on his <laughs> end. So, <Yeah. laughs> if, they, if they somehow get the finish list just to play Huddersfield, they'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, I'm sure I'm sure someone at Stoke will be able to
2: wrangle that one. <laughs> um, yeah, one One last thing that's sort of caught my eye in the last couple of days was um, the sort of news and speculation about where Yaya Toure is going to go. Yeah. Um, so obviously there's a lot of clubs that have been thrown into the mix. Um, one being West Ham. Um, I hate to bring it back to West Ham again, but um, upon hearing that... Um, one of his players has been linked with West Ham. His uh, Yaya Torres agent, Dimitri Selic, has said, it's not West Ham, 100%. <laughs> Yaya is a champion. The last place is not for him. Oh. Uh, so, I have something to say to you, Dimitri. You're a prick. <laughs> <laughs> just just show him the uh, championship
1: playoff victory. I mean, that's a championship mm. right there.
0: R- Ricardo no. Vazte, lest
3: we forget. No, uh, absolutely. You say he's a prick, though, but he is a prick with a point, and that is one more point than West Ham have at the minute. And on that, we're going to end
1: the episode because I feel like there's no coming back from that. You're making me cry. (laughs) (laughs) Boys, thank you very much for joining us as always. Cheers. Have Uh, a good week. Cheers, you two. Back next week where we'll probably be talking about the England-Switzerland game. So I have no idea who Tim will be supporting on that one. It's going to be <laughs> a, a, li- a little bit of both, I imagine. Thank you very much for joining us, Alan. Thank you as well. Save. You can listen to us on Apple Pods, Spotify, or anchor.fm slash Podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Uh-oh.